So I don't know if, uh, if y'all uh, caught this last night. I mean, you know, there's usually a lot of frenetic activity going on Christmas Eve. Same at our house. But we did have Channel 3 on last night in the background. It's a Wonderful Life on NBC. Same every year. My favorite movie. It's no secret. You know, I've, there's a lot of crucial points in that movie. But probably the most crucial moment of all is when George wishes he'd never been born. And see, that's the occasion where Clarence, the angel, comes to his great plan to redeem George. He sees that as his opportunity. He can show this man what the world would look like if he'd never been born. George, you were never born. Now you get to see the world without you. And to George's surprise, nothing is the same. He assumed that his life had come to, to no purpose, to no end, and yet nothing is the same without him. This quaint town of Bedford Falls is now a seedy city called Pottersville, where everything is dark and everyone is selfish and sour. And at one point, Clarence says out loud what everybody else watching the movie is thinking. Strange, isn't it? He says. Each man's life touches so many other lives. Now what we come to realize is the only thing keeping Bedford Falls from becoming Pottersville is the goodness and courage and faithfulness of one man. George Bailey. Y'all, today's Christmas. And here in a moment, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, some of the, the key details surrounding the birth of Jesus. But it's also necessary, it's so important for us to take a wide-angle view as to what Christmas is really all about. Because, y'all, the truth about us, it's a hard truth to stomach, but it's just reality. It's certainly the testimony of the Scripture. The world we live in, we are Pottersville. No matter how nice and buttoned up we try to appear, we are all part of a very dark and sin-sick world, and we're a part of that world. We're part of the problem, not the solution. And the Bible tells us this in many places, but one of them I want to refer to us this morning is Titus chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul in Titus 3, he speaks on his own behalf, but also for us all. Titus 3 verse 3, Paul says, We also once were foolish ourselves disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's the testimony Paul gives to the world, to all of us, including himself. He says we all fall into this very same category. We are lost. And the only hope we have is that God himself should intervene. And, of course, that's what happens. We see that in the very next verse, Titus 3, verse 4. He says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom God poured out upon us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, on the surface, that's not a typical Christmas verse, is it? But you notice again what Paul says. He says, we were once lost in the darkness of our sin, but, verse 4, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared. Now, how exactly did God's kindness and love appear? 
His loving kindness appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. Christmas. When God wanted to show forth His goodness and grace to a dying world, He did not send us a self-improvement plan. He didn't simply sprinkle temporary blessings upon us to get us through another day or another week or a year. No, God literally brought life into the world by bringing Himself down to become one of us. His kindness and love appeared, and He saved us. And so as we look into the Christmas story today from Luke chapter 2, one thing we notice very clearly, the absence of nice, neat, pretty circumstances. There's nothing uh, glorious about the circumstances of Jesus' birth. And yet right there in the middle of all the darkness and obscurity and ugliness and ickiness, we see the overwhelming joy, the light of God in sending his son to us and for us. And so Luke chapter 2, this all-familiar story, beginning in verse 6. While they were there, they being Mary and Joseph, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now Luke states that very matter-of-factly. He doesn't embellish. He just simply tells us what happens. And the way it's written, it's, it's like it's not even a big deal. That the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, had nowhere to stay. That they had no warm or even sanitary place to give birth. There was nowhere suitable to lay the baby down. I mean, they put him in a manger. Y'all, that's a feeding trough for livestock. The circumstances, you know, of course, it's, so, it's such a familiar story. It doesn't stun us like it should. But this is, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, humiliating to consider that this is how God would send his son. Something, the wires must have gotten crossed somehow for it to have turned out this way. And it's always, it's helpful for me. I share this every year. You were with us last year. You heard this illustration. But I think it's tremendous, at least for me. Imagine if the royal couple were pregnant and about to give birth. Larry and Harry and Pippa, whoever the royal, you know, y'all you, know who they are. Y'all watch, the, watch the news. So they go to, the, they go to the, the finest hospital in London, but the hospital turns them away. All the beds are full. I'm sorry. You'll have to find somewhere else. And she's so near birth that they, the only place to have the baby is out back in the alleyway behind the hospital next to the dumpster. And that's where the royal child is born. Y'all, that would be international scandal. That would be the news story of the year. Heads would roll. People would be fired left and right, sent to prison over such an oversight that, that, that the, the royal family should be treated this way. Nobody should be treated like that. No mother and baby should have to endure such, such humiliation and miserable circumstances, right? And yet Luke chapter 2, this is, this is how the Son of God came into the world. And it's helpful, I think, also for us to recognize that this was God's intention. This was not, God, this was not an accident. There were no wires crossed. This is, this is God's absolute, clear, eternal will at work here. And so if you remember this, we, we've spoken about this over the course of Advent, how the angel Gabriel came to Nazareth, to a backwoods town that barely dotted the map. And he came to Mary, who was a nobody. There was no record of her or anything that made her special. And God declared through Gabriel in this obscure place to this obscure person that he's going to bring his son into the world through her virgin womb. 
It's a story that makes no sense if we were scripting it out. We wouldn't have written it this way. God's not interested in scoring style points with us. God is okay with lowliness and humility, even though it wouldn't seem to befit the God of the universe. This is how he reveals himself to us. In humility. In even what we would consider shameful. And it becomes even more pronounced as the story unfolds. It goes even lower here in many ways. Look at verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David... There has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We finally do see some glory in this scripture in the form of a bright shining angel and then the heavenly host. Right? Of course, the shepherds were sore afraid, as Linus quotes the old King James. They were terrified, as, as any of us would be. But we read this and we say, okay, that's more like it. Finally, some spectacular display here of God's glory. But even here, I hope we're struck by the circumstances and the oddness of it all. To whom is God's glory being revealed? Some shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. It's a very odd choice for God to make. Shepherds. Y'all, these would have been men of very low reputation. They would have almost certainly been illiterate and poor. They're out doing the dirty work of keeping the flock by night, not even during the day. Everybody else is asleep, dreaming of sugar plums, right? While the shepherds are still hard at work tending their sheep. You talk about obscurity. But it's into this void, into this unknown, that the glory of the Lord breaks through. See, if God, we mentioned this last week, we used the the illustration of Aladdin, that if God wanted to make known the birth of his son, the savior of the world, if he wanted to do it in a spectacular fashion, then he could have. And certainly in that case, Jesus would have come down in a palace, and God would have revealed it to the king. Or at least the priests in the temple or or the rabbis in the synagogue or maybe in the square near the temple where all of Jerusalem could see and witness this greatness of God's proclamation and his gift to the world. But he didn't. He didn't even show up in the daylight. This announcement comes in the fields in the middle of the night to a bunch of men. We don't even know their names. Why would the Lord do such a poor job of marketing himself? (laughs) But y'all think about, again, what is God communicating to us? The circumstances of Jesus' birth, they're not just circumstances. They communicate meaning to us. All throughout this story, God is taking lowly people from lowly places, and he's coming to meet them. He's revealing his grace to them and through them. And craziest of all now, he brings his own dear son and lays him in a feeding trough. He doesn't just invite the poor to come to him. He becomes poor himself. 
And so the Christmas story is telling us something. It's telling us something about something much more than Christmas. The, the, the gospel, the, the good news that we celebrate, the, the Christian faith, y'all, it's not advice for the upwardly mobile to follow. That if you really want to be somebody, here's how you can rise above the sin and circumstances of life and make your way to God, make your way to the top of the ladder. There is no such message in this book. It's not how you discover your best self or live your best life. No, the Christmas story is God coming down to us. It's God entering into weakness and poverty. It's God invading the sin and the darkness of this world, coming all the way down to the very bottom. And again, there is a, there, there's a strand of, of Christian belief even, people who claim to believe this book, who simply can't engage with this way of thinking. God can't get that dirty. God can't come that low without sacrificing his glory. And yet, that's the whole point. He didn't sacrifice his glory. He brought us into it. No one, y'all, no one, no one in this room, no one outside of this room, is beyond the reach of such grace. If God is willing to come this low, as we're reading, to people who live in this kind of darkness and obscurity, then nobody is outside of his mercy or, out, or beyond his reach. And y'all, that's, that's good news, I hope, for somebody maybe in this room right now. It may be good news for somebody that's on your heart who you know is very far from the Lord. No one is beyond him. No one is so sinful that God cannot forgive. The Christmas story is proof. So when we recognize what Christmas is all about, then it makes, it makes sense then that God would announce the birth of Christ just this way to people just like this. The poor shepherds received the first invitation. Those were who, who were considered outsiders are the first ones brought in. And this is the good news that makes it so. Look again with me at verse 10. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Notice the angel redirects their fear and turns it to joy. Don't be afraid. I bring you great joy because there's good news. And this good news, the angel says, is for all the people. Today there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And y'all, that means, if this is good news for all the people, if the Savior has been born for you, then that means that all of us are swept up into this same precious story. All of us have access to this same good news and grace. God has brought a Savior for us. What you could never do on your own, God has now done for you by His grace. Y'all, if that doesn't stir you up, if that doesn't knock you to the floor, then you and I need to take a cue this morning from the angels of heaven. If it's not interesting to us, or maybe we've heard it so many times, it just doesn't strike us as it should, the angels show us how we ought to respond. Look at how awesome this good news is to them. You see verse 13 one more time. 
suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude, thousands upon thousands perhaps, of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The angels are thrilled. They have taken the glory of God looking upward, and then they have turned downward to the recipients of his glory and his peace. And now the bridge has, uh, the, the, the gap has been bridged. The connection has been made. God's glory has come down. His peace is now made available to us. And the peace we're talking about here, y'all, this is not just goodwill toward men. That's not all it is. This is primarily the peace that only salvation can bring. This is peace with God. In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says, we who are justified by faith now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God has sent His Son for us, we now have true relationship with Him forever. That's the good news for all the people. And so the last point here this morning is response. Remember, I talk about this ought to stir us up. How should we respond? Well, let's take a lead. We just talked about taking a lead from the angels who can't get over this message of grace. Now we should take a cue from the shepherds as to how we ought to respond. Look at what the shepherds do in verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her hearts. The shepherds went back glorifying God and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So the, the shepherd's response is not to simply go back to work. No, there's urgency, there's amazement, there's worship, there's even evangelism going on in this story. Everyone to whom God has revealed His grace in this story is totally awestruck. No one can get over the awesome nature of this miracle, despite the fact that no circumstances have changed. And y'all, this is something I've only noticed maybe in recent years. For all the glory and the, the, the promises, the, the proclamation of, of gospel grace that's going on here, very little has actually changed in, in a tangible sense. I mean, think about it. As this account comes to a close, what we just finished reading, the poor shepherds are still poor shepherds. And eventually they do go back to work. I mean, they have to. Mary and Joseph are still out in the cold. Baby Jesus is still in the feeding trough. In one sense, in that sense, seemingly nothing has changed. And yet we know better. We know everything's changed. And in some very real sense, they did too. Y'all, in, uh, in, in 1 John, we actually read this last night at the beginning of our service. John tells us something about the, uh, the coming of Christ that uh, was very precious to him because this was decades later now as he writes it from the time when he walked with Jesus. He says this, The word of life has been manifested to us. We have seen him. 
We have touched him. We have beheld his glory. That's what John says of Jesus. That God, the untouchable God, became touchable. The God no one can see, we have seen now in his son Jesus Christ. The glory that if we beheld it with the naked eye would kill us, we beheld his glory because he sent us his son as one of us. I mentioned this last night as a pastor has has said this, and I've taken it now for myself. The ideal has become real on Christmas. God himself has entered into our circumstances. He entered in, not merely to improve them, not to help the shepherds to become more uh, successful, not to give Mary and Joseph a palace in which to dwell, but a greater, more transcendent hope and glory he's given them and us. He didn't come to improve us. He came to save us. Y'all, the same Jesus born in that lowly manger also died on a rugged cross. God deliberately comes low. He chooses the lowest of all circumstances so that he might bring us the good news of great joy. And this for us ought to be a comfort that no matter how low we go, whether circumstantially or in our sin, no matter how low on the ladder we feel, God's reach, God's grace, God's light, we are never too far gone for the grace of God to come to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so may we respond this morning like the angels in absolute awe of the Son given to us. May we respond like the shepherds with absolute urgency and worship, telling everyone we encounter this good news that we've received. That by faith in Jesus Christ, we've been saved. And that Christmas for us is not a wish of better circumstances, but it's a certain and everlasting hope given freely as a gift by God who has loved us. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, Christmas morning, help us Lord, to, uh, to see right now beyond, Lord, any lesser thing that we make this day about. Even very good things, Father. We are, if we're with friends and family, we're with our church right now, uh, we're, we're, we're warm, we're filled, we are blessed in so many ways. Thank you. These are gifts. But Lord, I pray that that we would see a a transcendent glory this morning, a greater gift that we really can now behold and enjoy. We really can know you, Father, as your children, as heirs of your grace and your promise because you came down to us. Lord, thank you that, that in all of the darkness of this world and all of our sin and unworthiness, Father, you did not reject us, but your compassion poured over. And because of your great mercy, Lord, you joyfully sent your Son to save us by becoming one of us. Lord, this this morning I pray that we would see ourselves in, in the right kind of light. We are lowly, we are needy, 
We are no better or higher up than anybody in this story that we've read. We're right where we belong, Lord. Humble enough, I pray, to look to Jesus Christ, who made himself humble, to save us, to make us new, to bring us peace with you forever and ever. Lord, thank you for the good news that is Christmas. And Lord, let it be for us that the bright and shining light, Lord, that guides our paths and fills our hearts every day, not just this one. Because we have now uh, come to you by faith and we belong to you for eternity. Thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.